Welcome to Painters Today. My name is Lucy Cox and in conjunction with the Prizeman Seabrook Collections, I will be presenting a series of podcasts featuring contemporary artists active in the United Kingdom today. You can subscribe to these podcasts via SoundCloud and my blog, the links to which can be found in the description. For more information regarding the Prizeman Seabrook Collections, visit prizemanseabrook.org. This is episode one, Carter's Kingdom, featuring Simon Carter. studio today uh, it's just it's really beautiful um, and I really enjoyed seeing your show at the Muslims gallery on Tuesday um, so first off I'd like to talk about the painting swimmers yes um, I don't know if you remember it I do yeah yes. you painted it quite a long time ago <laughs> it was right? yeah, 2007 I think okay okay yeah and it was part of a much more extensive series of paintings mm. um, because I the my studios in Frinton on sea it's right by the coast and um, it, all of those uh, swimmer paintings grew out of um, time spent on the beach with my kids when they were smaller and just making drawings of people swimming. And so um, from, yeah, I don't know, when, when did I start them? I'm just trying to think how old my children are, but um, they've been, uh, it's like an ongoing series of paintings. I haven't painted in the last four or five years, but um, I just like the way that, uh, so how much how much detail you want me to go into? Do you want me to go because um, the surface of the sea mm. is it's almost like the surface of a painting. Yes. And then yes. it's disrupted by light, air, mm. movement. Um, and I like the the fact that this surface of the sea could be equated to the painting, but then you put these little shapes in, and they're immediately read as figures, even a shape that's quite abstracted. So that's what it grew out of this idea of a, a surface interrupted by sort of ciphers for mm, figures really. Okay and how has your practice grown or evolved since then because that painting was 11 years ago. It now. was. It was yes. a long time ago, it was <laughs> yeah, it, 2007. I, it, still, wow. it still feels quite, um, it still feels relevant to what I'm doing now and I think the thing is that you come into the studio each day and um, you kind of think you're doing the same things all the time but you're you gradually, uh, maybe you get a little bit better at what you're doing, you, your sort of ideas progress um, but I kind of think I'm still doing the same thing. There's n- not been big leaps in my practice. It's been a sort of quite a steady, 
progress mm. I think so it's still it's something that's in the back of my mind and, and I do circle around and come back to similar subjects so mm. maybe two three years time it might be something I sort of revisit mm. as well okay so so right. yeah it, it changes but I mean yeah. I, th I think it's still part of what I do mm. Mm. and uh, and did you decide to donate that to the Prize and Seabrook collections or was it something that Robert had picked up yeah I think it's Robert and I between us we sort of um, he he's very interested in those swimmer paintings mm. because I I go to church and I go to a what's like a non-conformist church so it's sort of outside of any sort of Catholic or Anglican uh, denomination and um, he the first time Robert came down here, he, he's, he'd been to the church that I go to, and he says, oh, I can see why you paint like you do now. And I didn't know at all what he was talking about. I thought I got no idea what, how that activity affected this activity in the studio. But it, Robert really likes those swimmer paintings. One of the things is they've got, um, the figure isn't grounded, it's in this sort of continuous space. Mm. So it's almost like it's not, um, it's disembodied almost. And he talks about it in terms of sort of like, I suppose a kind of baptism really, sort of with, you know, there's water and this disembodied figure. And also you can put figures right at the top of the painting and they're just a bit further away in the sea. But that kind of top zone is where the, mm. the angels usually are in a, you know, mm. in a religious painting and that. Yes. Whereas if you paint out on the street, everything's mm. sort of much more grounded, I suppose. Mm. And Robert has really connected with those paintings. And um, I think it sort of grew out of conversation with that, that he, he accepted mm. that one. Um, and what is the relationship between painting and drawing in your practice? Because I know you spend a lot of time outside in, in the landscape and you spend a lot of time drawing drawing certain things. So if yes. you could just talk a little bit about um, that. I think all of, the, um, all of the paintings develop out of drawings I've made. So it's that all the paintings are developed from observation. And I go out, at the moment, at the moment I go out <coughs> probably once, maybe twice a week for I don't know, two or three hours maybe, maybe a bit less, and uh, make a set of drawings. Um, quite often the drawings are dictated by what's going on in the studio and then what goes on in the studio develops out of the drawings. So there's like a two-way conversation between them. But the drawings are made, um, they're observational drawings, but they're made in quite a notational, quick kind of way. So there's not, not anything particularly developed about the drawings. But I like that language of uh, like recording something quite quickly that you do with a pencil or crayons or oil pastel, whatever you're using. And uh, in the studio, that language, I guess you sort of dissect it and see what it is you've actually done mm. to record things. And I think that's then that generates ideas mm. for, for the from yeah mm. from the drawings for the paintings. Mm. Yeah, I could definitely see that when we went to the Oasis Gallery earlier, and you've got that series of paintings and how certain motifs that you might have seen outside when you brought them back into the studio and looked at the drawings and how um, those motifs sort of developed over time in new drawings. Yes, there's a kind of, in, in that series, there's four, 14 paintings. So there's, mm. there's a sort of like a, a narrative, I guess, that runs um, sort of a processional kind of narrative that runs through those 14. Mm. And um, it reuses, it uses and reuses some sort of motifs so that they're based on the shapes of like pools of water or um, creeks on, on the saltings. And, um, and there's certain shapes sort of are reused or reconfigured as they, as they go on. And they, I suppose the shapes that you find in the drawings develop a life of them, their own. Yes. So it's mm. um, rather than it being to do with I don't know, uh, geometry or a particular object, this shape 
like takes on a life of its own. There's there's a particular pool um, that I've been drawing, and at um, sort of about high tide, the furthest bit of this pool looks like a figure le leaning over with its arms outstretched. If you just draw a line around it, and I like that. So mm. that's mm. like a motif that's I've taken from there and then applied into the paintings. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's another pool which um, which we we looked at in some of the paintings, and it looks like. Um, it looks like a little ceramic model of a cat. The shape of it, it just looks like a little slightly squashed cat. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, again, I like the shape of that and that I just reuse that shape quite often. Mm. And there were a few uh, lines that I saw in one painting and it looked a bit like a kind of an angry or quite sad cloud that was almost protruding across the landscape. Yes, yes. <laughs> which I, was quite interesting. Well, I think one of the things in that, in that particular series of paintings was um, um, we, um, when, when you draw something, you sometimes, uh, you sometimes, there's other things that suggest themselves, but you didn't necessarily intend them. Mm. Or you draw a shape, and rather than it looking like, um, like the shape of a, I don't know, a, a, a field or a, the shape of a, a creek or something like that, mm. it ends up looking like a cat or a, a person or something like this. So, but I've kind of allowed those things in. I haven't tried to exclude them this time. So I've kind of allowed those funny things that happen and this this face came out of there's a little group of trees on the furthest bank of this inlet and um, I was just sort of drawing roughly where the shape of it was and then shading in where the shadows were and it ends up it looks like this like you say like a slightly sad face and I, I just let that be whereas before I think maybe I just thought right I don't want that I want it to be like a tree I want it to be something to do with a tree but I'm trying to allow those things in and see what happens now. So when did you realise, sort of realise that, you know, in your practice? Like at what, what point, what point in time? Was, I, it a few, was it a few years ago? No, I think it's quite recent actually. Quite I recent. think, um, I think oh, you're always aware when, when you're painting that sometimes something appears, some shape appears that you didn't intend it to be that. And one, one of the things, when I had my studio at home, I had a studio sort of built at the end of the garden and when my boys were little, I'd, we have the wall in the dining room would be the wall I brought the paintings indoors and tried them out just to see how they were going and so I'd try them out indoors and of course children they see all sorts of things in painting so they'd be telling me there's a you know a crocodile or a, a balloon dog was one of the in one of the paintings um, or there was a leaping deer in one of the things like that and I, then I'd take it back up to the studio and thought, right I've got to get rid of that and sort of mm -hmm. return it to being a shape or whatever but now I think now I've um, 20 years later I thought no hang on a minute I can just you know it doesn't matter mm. it's, it's okay if people read that as a as a dog or as a shape it's how we kind of read the world around us you look at a cloud yes. and you see a face in it yes, yes, and it's kind do, of yes. how we read the that's world right, so I sort right. of let that in a that's little bit right. more yes, that's right. yeah, but that's quite recent maybe mm. 12 months but even in some of my paintings, like from, from my Zippy series, even though you know they're quite abstract and quite geometrical, people have said that, that they resemble sculpture, yeah. that they resemble like nuts and bolts. Yes. And, and I'm yes. thinking, really? Yes. <laughs> Do they? Yes. <laughs> and, and, I, and at first I was quite hung up on that, but over time I've just grown, you just grown to accept it. You, you just it, kind of accept yeah. it and think, well, everyone is going to see, see something. Yeah. And I think know, maybe it's to do know. with how somebody... Um, Maybe, um, maybe it's just how somebody reads things in the world. Mm. So you look at a painting, you think, oh, there's a bit like nuts and bolts. And so the first thing you say is, it looks a bit like nuts and bolts, yeah. rather than s sort of about how one shape is tuned to another shape, which mm. is, I guess, as artists is maybe what you think. Mm. Um, but yeah, 
And I, I think there's a long tradition of that as well. Yes, and it's just it's just part of the human condition, I think, for yes. for yes. us to immediately yes. recognise things, yes. and it kind of gives us a sense of comfort. Yes, you put two um, dots on a piece of paper, yes. and you their yes. eyes, or even the ink ink blot yes. tests. Yes, you know. Yes, and how how we see butterflies, or yes. <laughs> instead of it just just being ink that have been pressed together, yeah. you you recognise faces. And I think in a painting that is that um, refers to maybe refers to photography or refers to a more um, I don't know, measured uh, understanding. I don't know what, how, how would you say? But I mean, definitely paintings that refer to photography, but maybe sort of a more literal way of looking at the world. You can eliminate those things because a viewer is confronted immediately with, I don't know, a house or a or a still mm. life, or a, mm. and and that's what they read. Yes. But as soon as you start pushing that away, and mm. you're you're talking about marks and things like that, the viewer is still looking for. Yes, something yes but they're not seeing a house or a still life mm. or something like that but then they you're reading into it certain mm. things mm. and i think you inevitably come across that at some mm. point and i think you've got to either you've got to deal with it or just let it happen mm. i think maybe i think in some ways that's i mean for me that's one of the mysteries of abstract painting uh you know the fact that it's it's not immediately obvious and it kind of challenges your perceptions and yes. and, and what you know certain things to look like yes and I, th I think that's um yeah i think we we kind of assume we know what the world looks like yes. but the world is a much odder stranger mm. place than i think we 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 need because there's a certain amount of information one needs to know in order to for instance not get run over or in order to like <laughs> jump on the escalator without tripping up there's a certain amount of information you need to know yes and most of us can go through life quite happily with that amount of information but as soon as you really start analyzing and looking at what the world is like it's it's much stranger and much odder than that and the, the way that color for instance I mean there's um, you know we the sky is blue and the grass is green and you know the, the, there's that kind of level of color but then when you really start looking at color in the world mm. there's an extraordinary colors and the way we perceive color is very the, like white color in shadow has got I mean no one notices that it's colored the light that's you know a, a white building in shadow has got an extraordinary color to it mm, but most it of us we never notice it, it has yeah, um, yeah. and mm. I think one um, yeah so so, uh, so as soon as you stop just needing enough information to not get mm. run over yes you know the, there's there's mm. there's assumptions we make about the world which maybe we mm. should question mm. and you know maybe and, and I think that your paintings in the Oasis Gallery you know were doing this for me was that artists in some way have, have to capture the the unknown and I think that you are doing that with with the landscape so you're recognizing faces in trees or, or you're 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 rec you know you're looking at a pool of water and you're seeing a what was it that you called it uh, a rat or yes there was, know, a, there was something yes yes there's one that does it does look like a skinned rat this uh, skinned rat but, yeah <laughs> but i think um yeah i mean we we talked about the way that um part of what uh, what you do when you're painting the landscape as well you're not just painting that landscape you're looking at you're painting that space between what the landscape mean what what the landscape is and what it means to you as a person so in a sense you're drawing yourself mm. into the painting mm. as much as drawing the landscape yes, into the painting yes. so you're expressing something of um you know you start using sort of uh, words like spirit or soul or things like that but mm. it's that those kind of things that you're 
putting yes, into it somewhere yes, some yes. sort of some real mm. I don't know heartfelt truth or meaning mm. to, to, yes, to it yes it's really difficult to explain isn't it it's, it's very difficult <laughs> and, and I think I don't th- I think a lot of artists get quite hung up on that mm. you know the idea of the spiritual mm. yeah whatever um, that I, is yeah yes. well, whatever that <laughs> yes, is yes. but I, I do think that it is grounded mm. in in the human condition and mm. it's grounded in mm. in 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 the desire to the desire to search for the truth yes and, yes and I think with um maybe because I, I never know what um what part of my life that these terms like spiritual what it actually attaches to mm. but I think those the things you need just to navigate the world and not like you say not get run over have not find enough food to eat and that kind of stuff <laughs> those kind of things anything beyond that in a sense is the spiritual in inverted commas isn't it it's it's sort of it's maybe it's not um it's not utterly necessary to just staying alive but it is necessarily to to make life worth staying alive for mm, maybe yeah i think it's about maybe sort of finding meaning yes and yes and i think yes I think yes that's, lot, that's right because it, otherwise yeah. you're just you're just existing you're, yes. you're staying alive aren't you but yes, but it's finding a meaning in mm. what it is mm. it is to be alive and you do you think you found that now in your um painting oh, i don't know <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I think you sort of you you navigate those kind. Of, you, um, I mean, that is the sort of things that you navigate by, yes, mm. and that you want to investigate. But I think maybe that's just a never-ending kind of quest. Maybe that because um, quite often the questions are more interesting than the answers, aren't mm, they? So I think you, you should well, keep you've been questioning. Pa- well, you've been painting for quite a long time, haven't you? Yes. For, yeah, for what, 30, 30 years. Yes, yes. So in that time you know your work has obviously changed yes, yes. mutated it's gone back it's gone forward yeah. so so yeah so maybe you are now at a stage where where you not feel comfortable but but you feel like like you realized a lot of things yes i think um i mean i can remember starting paintings when, when i was like 30 years ago left college and you sort of try and make a painting and it's so complicated trying to make a painting it, it, um there's, I mean, there's, there's everything is kind of up for grabs. You've got this blank canvas, and you could do anything. And you, so you've, it's very complicated just making anything. But um, I feel now it's more like going back to the swimmer painting. It's more like you've sort of swum out into deep water, and I kind of know what I'm doing, kind of a bit. And you're, but there's no point in stopping now, as you're sort of, you know, you're out there, you're swimming away, and um, I'm interested in what's going on. I kind of know quite a bit about making a painting, but you also want to find those areas. That you don't know because you don't want to just rely on mm. all the things that you've learned you want to kind of keep at the edge of what you've learned yes. and sort of keep the um the uh possibility of failing sort of fairly close by so it's like being on the boundary between order and chaos in some yes. ways yes. Or, or being out in the w- it's almost like you want to jump out into the wilderness yes but at the same time you have to pull yourself back in yeah, that because, is that's probably. Yeah. T- I think it is a balance <laughs> between that because I think there's. T- it's I, really interesting. I feel so like there's too much control. So interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, there's too much control. It's I. It's kind of too knowing. But so there's there's a kind of, uh, what's the word? Kind of an offhandness maybe about uh, how some of the paint is put on, which I quite like. Um, I think David Ainley called it a risky awkwardness. And I quite like he. Yes, he said, "I don't mean to be offensive, but it, I th- you know, feel there's this risky awkwardness." And I thought, "No, that's not offensive. That is that's what true. It, it's, yeah. you want to take these risks, 
and I think part of it is making the painting less you don't want to make it too easily it can't be assimilated too easily it's got to be so there's an awkwardness to it that makes it difficult mm. to take maybe mm. sometimes and were there periods in your practice where you weren't being so risky or or you couldn't find that risky awkwardness I think that's more more it I couldn't find it yeah but, um, I, couldn't find I it. think I think there's a there's sort of a drive forward that I knew I I guess the certain. I mean, I've always been able to draw. Even when I was at primary school, everybody, you know, the kids thought I could draw really well. But there's a great danger in just using drawing as a, as a kind of, uh, I suppose, as a, as a as kind of a facility that you're something that you can do, and it's something that you can sort of underpin everything you do with. And I, I kind of want to get away from that. There's more interesting things you can do than just being good at making a, a drawing. And so I've tried to sort of steer away from that easy kind of uh, niceness, I suppose, to the thing. So I've, I've, had, I've always wanted to do it like that. But like you say, it's difficult to find it sometimes. It's difficult to find where it is. But I feel I'm kind of, even when, even when I go through weeks and months when it's not working, I know kind of what to do to keep going to find it. Mm. And what do you have to do to keep yeah, going? Yeah, it's mainly about keeping going. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I always say, if I'm, if, I'm, um, um, if I'm doing a bit of teaching, I don't do much teaching, if I'm, um, I, always, I always say to them that perseverance is much more important than talent, that you just gotta keep doing it. And if, if you give up, that's the tr thing I don't seem to be able to get through to them, that uh, you, you don't wanna be satisfied with what you've done. You don't wanna sort of be a couple of days in and you think, oh yeah, that's nice, I'm liking that, that's, that's good, that's interesting. You don't want to be satisfied with what you've done. You just need to keep ploughing through it and pushing it and pushing it. And to that moment when it all starts to fall to pieces and it all gets horrid and crummy. And then the other side of that, that's where you find the painting, I think. Mm. And so I think if, you were, if someone was in the studio looking at what you were doing, most of the time what you're doing is not very good. <laughs> It's, it's sort of it's, it's delving into the sort of mm. like the boundaries of failure all the time yeah. but out of that yeah. hopefully you find something that mm. succeeds in yeah. a new and mm. interesting way something that interests me because I paint every day yeah. and um, you know you don't want to bore yourself with what you do so I've got to find ways and strategies of like pushing that pushing that forward so it doesn't overcome any sense of boredom I think mm. But boredom's quite good as well, so there's things to be said for boredom. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a book um, that I do have in my a bookcase uh, called What Painting Is by James Elkins. I don't know if you've heard of that. But he, he talks about the, um, uh, the language of alchemy in oil paint. Right, yes. Um, and, and when I saw your show um, on Tuesday evening, uh, you were painting in acrylics, yes, yes. And I did notice that you're doing something in a similar way, where you're mm. kind of using the the alchemy of of acrylic paints. And and uh, and Elkins also says um, that artists or, or that painters are uh, entranced by uh, paint. You know, paint as mm. a material. Yes. So so the actual yes. thingness of you know of paint. And I do think that that you're doing that with acrylics. And when spectators are looking paintings they they can see the journey yes that the artist yes. has taken yes 
you know, the traces of the mark and even mm. the movement of the body. Mm. And what we were saying earlier about Jackson Pollock mm. and how he sort of worked around the canvas. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I, I do think that you're doing that in a similar way. I think that's yeah, that sounds mm. that sounds right true to me. I think I think it's um I like to be able to see when I when I go and see shows and that, I like to see the paint, the surface. And some artists kind of hide the surface, maybe hide what's going on. But I like to be able to see, I like it sort of exposed on the surface. And, um, but I suppose it's like in, uh, in music, I'm not very keen on music that's overproduced. I like it sort of, you, I like to hear what's going on. It's to mm. be sort of like, sort of like this rawness in, you know, that sort of, you know, you, the sound in it, not, a, a, not an overproduced sound. Um, and I, I think they're probably the same, same in painting. So you can see, see the marks, you can see the journey of the painting being made. But, and I also like to think that it's just paint. It's not, it's not a painting of whatever. And it's not using paint as a trick to trick you into thinking, oh, this is a shadow or this is a highlight or something like this. It's just paint. And um, I mean, there's so much that paint can do and engage you. Um, yeah, and get engage you with sort of the, just the sort of if you put a thin color over a thick color and you see little traces of the thick color underneath it. I think that's magic. It's like sort of you know, like a nice guitar sound or something like that. Mm. <laughs> um, you often return to the same spot in uh, in landscapes, yes. and in your recent show at the Mezzan's Gallery. Yes. Um, was it called Beaumont? Beaumont, yes. Beaumont, yes. sorry, yeah. sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> Beaumont. <laughs> Beaumont. Right. Um, what attracted did you, you to that place, and um, and in what kind of ways have you returned? What have you seen there that's right. that's really yes. attracted you? Um, well, I'm. Um, I mean, we were, we were talking about this earlier, but I think this in in like British painting, there's probably like 19th century British painting. The two poles of uh, British painting are Constable and Turner. And Constable's got this uh, sort of stay-at-home, sort of drilling down deep into the into a very particular landscape. Turner is on on the grand tour. He's going seeing the sites. He's he's drawing all the cathedrals and all the views and everything. So there's these two: one stay-at-home and one is sort of like ranging far and wide. I think I'm definitely the stay-at-home one. So within maybe three four miles of the studio, I don't range much further than that for subject matter. And so I return to the same spots again and again. And I like the fact that you maybe have drawn somewhere for three, four years and you think you've used it all up. And then on the off chance you walk by and it all looks brand new again. And so the, the landscape is constantly, your, your relation to the landscape is constantly being renewed if you're aware of it enough. Mm. And, um, and I just, I like that, that you can return to the same space year after year and it's still giving you haven't sort of drawn everything out of it literally um, and so um, but in saying that every now and then you I get sort of a little bit lost with what I'm doing and so I just wander around and I go visit all my old haunts and see if there's anything that I can use but this uh, these Beaumont paintings were started about three end of, t end of 2014 I think and it was a slight it was a new spot was somewhere I'd been as a child and uh, but not very often and it was a slightly, slightly mundane reason. So they put in a, um, a hard standing where you could park your car. And so you could park your car there and you're just walking straight out onto the quay and then you've got miles of seawall you can walk around. So the fact that I could leave the car there all opened up a new kind of route in. And I found it quite exciting actually, starting with a subject that I knew in that it was seawalls and saltings and marshes 
but it was sort of seen slightly differently because it was a different, slightly different location. It's only about a couple of miles from where I've been drawing anyway, mm. so. And so, and then I've been using that for about three years, probably a bit over three years. Uh, are you going to continue with uh, uh, with that place, or are you going to move move elsewhere? I've been think? sort of back there um, doing a few more drawings, and some of the paintings I've got in the studio um, are to do with that. I think um, the paintings in the studio. What I'm looking at is pairs of paintings, sort of putting two paintings together and see what happens across these two paintings. So I've used different locations to do this. So the the actual painting has become the thing in these over the last 12 months and the location I've used what I need to use so I have been going back there to find there's a new um, there's a place um, down near in Walton which is sort of the next town um, which has got a there's a there's a little outfall and this this channel just wanders out from this sort of crummy little outfall and I've been using that although it's incredibly muddy down there at the moment so I don't go down there very often because I get in a mess. Mm. Um, and speaking of muddiness, I, I did notice in that series of paintings in the Mesons Gallery, I mm. think they're 30 by 30, mm. and there's about, four, is it 14 of them? How many uh, of them are there? Um, on, on yeah, I think one, there's one a dozen wall. of them, I think. Yeah, there's yes, about a dozen. Yes, yes. And how you've, how you've captured like the muddiness of the place, yes. and you've, you've really immersed yourself in the landscape, I think. I think with um, the, the thing with the East Coast, I mean, we're on the sort of like the northern tip of the Essex marshes really mm. um, the east coast sort of fades away into the sea whereas you've got the west coast like Cornwall uh, the west coast of Scotland Wales it's, it's an abrupt meeting of this sort of the power of the Atlantic and this rocky um, landscape the east coast it sort of just slowly slowly fades out and disappears into the sea and a friend of mine said he said your painting you, what your paintings are about is mud and I think in a sense it is it's, it's this stuff this you know, you, you rest this painting out of this mud of paint and hopefully it kind of, you make it sing a mm. bit as well. But I think mm. it is to do with, I haven't really seen it like that, but I think it is to do with that, mm. yes. Well, at least partially, but your, some of your other paintings are very vibrant. Yes, and, um, yeah. yeah and, and, and quite sort of luscious yes. you know, in some ways, yes. quite hi highly saturated. Like, like this one painting, I forget what it's called now, but there's this huge band of pink. Yes, um, yes. I'm trying to think what yeah, which kind of number, pink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, what kind of pink <laughs> kind of is that? Kind of a hot that? pink. It is. Is it, is sort it of, a hot pink, right? Yeah, sort of yeah. hot kind of raspberry kind of yes, colour, isn't it? Yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that came about, um, well, one of the things working in the series, there's 14 paintings in the sequence, and it's trying to find uh, different um, sort of emotional pitch for each of the paintings, maybe. So, so you're not just painting 14 paintings that basically have the same emotion in them. So I've pushed, tried to push the colours. Um, uh, the, the sort of premise for the paintings was having this band across the top, which, which on looking at the paintings you could think of as sky, and a triangle in the bottom corner, which is like a very basic hint that the landscape goes away from you. So it's got, and then the landscape is sort of wedged in between this band and this, uh, this, this triangle at the bottom. And then you're um, playing around with maybe different ways so sort of maybe green see where green goes how, how far you can push that or mm. um, the marshes in autumn do turn a sort of like a russet foxy kind of color but you can push that into maroons and pinks and mauves and things like that so um, it was sort of part of like expanding seeing where the colors could go without them being artificial but the, that pink one came out I think came out of frustration more than an intention in that um, I think that was paint the whole center of that painting was painted over in that bright pink color at some point mm. and I just painted the 
uh, sort of basic marks of the landscape backing over the top of the hot pink. But it just, when I did it, it just it just was it. Yeah. I, I did there's a slight alteration at the bottom of the pink, I think, and it's, there's a little bit of red crept in. But mm. apart from that, it just happened through just not being able to get it to work. Mm. <laughs> and, and you've also named some of your paintings in that show. Um, titles of colours like, mm, uh, like yes. pink and green and, yes. you've all, and then you've named others especially the larger ones from 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 the landscape yes like Beaumont you know and yes. so forth yes is there any reason for that do you think I think or? um well a very mundane reason is that I, I do basically paint very similar things all the time and it's trying to find a way of identifying them so um so some of the more recent ones I've identified by very specific places where I was standing. So there's one, for instance, called Foundry Dock, which is literally the dock that I'm standing next to. There's one called Nays Marine, which has got quite a nice poetic sound to it, but it is actually the name of a caravan park, which is sort of behind me on the sea on the sea wall. So I've used those kind of names, but um, I think I think the titles. I mean, I'd really like to just call them all untitled, but it's you need to name your you know, you need to name the paintings in order to know which ones we're talking about, really, especially when they go out of the studio. Or you could um, sort of number them. Yeah, there so, could be a number. So, like, sequence. untitled one to yes. to a million. Yes, yes, and I, I think, it, in a sense, it's a way of just identifying them. But um, I think there is much about. You know, you call a painting green and pink, or you call a painting um, what clouds over the sea. I, I'm quite interested in what that does to the to the viewer. Because it's sort of well, they're both yes. true. Yes. Yeah. Because the fact that it's green and pink is true, and the fact that it's based on a drawings of clouds over the sea yeah. is also true. But it's it's implying two different ways of looking at the painting. So, in an ideal world, then would you untitle them? So it doesn't not confuse the viewer, but it it gives them a sense of okay, what am I looking at here? Yeah, I I, I do like that. I like the f I would. Um, we did uh, we did an exhibition at uh, Robert uh, Prizman and I. We did an exhibition at uh, the Waterfront Gallery in Ipswich of the East Contemporary Art Collection. And our initial intention, I can't remember quite whether that did turn it was that how it was, but we exhibited with no labels on. And um, there was um, yeah, there was a bit of dis um, discontent with the fact that there weren't any labels. I quite like the fact that you could go in and no one was telling you what anything was. Yeah. You just all you got to do is look. Mm. Um, and I, I like that, but yeah. I do know that it's kind of comforting when you go into Tate and people in the audience can go and have a little look at the label. Mm -hmm. and they kind of thought, right, I know a little bit of what I'm looking at now, and then you can look at something. Um, but I think my, yeah, I'd like to do it without any titles, any labels, or anything. Yeah, not necessarily the, t uh, the titles for me, but when I go to say the Tate mm. and see like like a big retrospective and they've mm. got you know the big oh, yes. biography of each yes. room and then all that I just find that so yeah I just find it so off-putting I do <laughs> I, I think that they need to be separated sometimes yes. you know because uh, yes. you can spend you can go on the internet and you know you can, go on, yes, yeah, exactly. you can go on to Wikipedia you can go on to like dozens of websites um, yes. But when you go into a gallery, it is about the it work. It should be a visual it experience. It should be it? about the work. And I think even, yeah. um, I, I don't like those little headsets that you put on either. Because yeah. you're kind of, I, I understand exactly why it's done. And there's, um, you know, there's, there's an educational remit to being a gallery and putting exhibitions on. But I just like looking at stuff. And I don't like being told what it is that I'm looking at. Mm. So you can go into a show uh, the one one example um several years ago a long long time ago there was a fantastic george stubbs exhibition at tate before before tate was tate modern and tate britain 
and it was just it was such a brilliant show um you bought the catalogue the catalogue entries for was you know whose horse this was and what parentage with this horse was and which lord owned the painting nothing to do with the painting whereas the the show the actual show was a just a visual kind of feast of just looking at painting he's he's a brilliant painter stubs and um the catalogue kind of missed that almost completely it could have been a, like a stock catalogue from a horse breeding mm. um, establishment mm. uh, and speaking of shows have you seen any good shows lately any yeah i haven't seen shows? actually that many shows lately i did i saw the um roy oxlade uh, exhibition at alison jack's gallery um, which i really like i like roy oxlade stuff i always have and i've seen several of his shows when he showed at um, art space in um, islington um, this was a show of paintings from the 90s, I think. Um, I like the... He's got that kind of abrupt, risky awkwardness mm. <laughs> of uh, the way of painting. They're really interesting show. And I, I, I think the thing I get from shows, um, you stand in front of a painting quite close to, and you look at this surface, you think, right, that, that's what painting is. That kind of recalibrates your mind. Yes. That surface, that is mm. painting. Mm. And you come back in the studio and think, right, I know what painting is now for a, for a while. Mm. And then you, you sort of work on that. So I think it's a way of recalibrating how you see stuff. Mm. Um, I went to see the Charles I show, the recent one, the one that's on at the oh, moment, the Royal good? Academy. The, I went to see the Mantegna paintings. There's the, right. is it nine? I think nine Mantegna paintings. They're usually in Hampton Court. And yeah. they are just... Uh, mind-blowing yeah. they really are that one person could even make them uh, um, yeah. but um, uh, but I must admit over the last um, yeah I haven't seen a hu huge number of shows the one show that I locally that I enjoyed at first sight in Colchester they showed uh, Zhang Enli the Chinese painter he's um, a Hauser and Worth artist and I really enjoyed it I know a lot of people around here didn't, and, but I thought I really enjoyed it. I thought it was an interesting show of painting. But um, yeah, I should go and see more shows. In conversation with Nicholas Middleton in 2013, you stated that painters such as Constable and Turner um, were fighting against the low position of landscape painting um, in the painting hierarchy mm. in the 19th century. Um, and that the subject matter for landscape painters today still occupies a low position yeah, in, in the hierarchy yeah. do you think that that's changing in any way i, I don't think it is actually you, you i think it sort of it did um because if, if you think of impressionism that was all based really on the landscape on the light in the landscape and so i suppose that uh landscape was like the the laboratory of, to experiment with impressionism and i guess into into post-impression you look at Cezanne and uh, van, van gogh and that that was a big section of what they were were doing but um i think if you tell people you're a landscape painter you're immediately thought of as a some kind of sunday painter and it's just it's just i painted because it's what's around me it's, i mean it's not everything that's around me because the studio is like in a yard so there's sort of there is a sort of suburban kind of landscape around me as well but um i just find it invigorating i think being out in the landscape and i i th think the other thing it does for me is um it's it's like putting random information into the process so you've got this studio practice which you're doing which you could be in control of but you go into the landscape and there's random information keeps getting put in like the, the weather's not as you thought it would be or the tides at a different state to what you thought it would be or you see something that you hadn't seen before or the colors are different from you know so you're getting this bits of information put in and then you can bring that back to the studio and so you're not um 
it's not all inward looking you're sort of allowing in this other stuff from outside if that makes sense mm. but i do i do think that you know that painters like yourself landscape painters like yourself are are challenging that that hierarchy and maybe eventually and think things will happen and, and the hierarchy will you know will sort of change change I, slightly I, I think yeah. I, you'd like to think so yeah and i think maybe maybe it will because i think that in contemporary practice in theory there's no there's no boundaries there's no rules you know you can do what you want really and people will consider it as art they might not be art but it will be considered and then people think what they want about it so and i think if if for instance i mean there's this sort of like the hackneyed kind of examples like you know uh tracy emin's tent or or damien Hurst sort of carving up animals there's those sort of hackneyed examples but if that is allowable as art then saying landscape painting isn't doesn't make any sense to me yes. i think either, either everything's mm. okay mm. or there are boundaries mm. and i don't think there's any boundaries so i think you know the fact that I paint, I quite like the fact that um, landscape isn't fashionable. Actually, that it's that it's seen looked down on, and um, I think with um, a lot of contemporary exhibitions, which are sort of, you know, there's that word groundbreaking, isn't there, or sort of boundary pushing, or mm. and, and and I mean, sh the shock factor isn't as much maybe as in contemporary, you know, in now as it was maybe no. 10, 15 oh, no, years ago. Not, I think no, we've no. passed all yes, that kind of, yes, I think you so, know, superficial yeah. thing, yeah. but. But I, yes. I think the most kind of radical, I've, I've said this to Robert, and, he, <laughs> and he's told, um, he's said this to several people. I, th I think the most radical exhibition at the moment was Beard the Serpentine put on a show of flowers in watercolours. That's what, that would be radical. Mm. And I think a lot of the stuff that is boundary pushing or, or you know, groundbreaking mm. is really just more of the same. Mm. Well, it's like we were talking about earlier about, um, and I, I do think this is true now in, you know, in the art world, that so a lot of artists follow follow fashions mm. you know follow trends yes yes and and as you say maybe it is to be kind of rebellious and, yeah. and not to follow trends yeah. but also to be yourself and and, yes. and and to find and to find your interests i think and, it's and uh, what, what really really interests you yes you know, and, and it's about being being true true to yourself i think you've got to be your own yes. person yeah and yeah. Uh, yes i think it, there are um sort of certain ways of doing things come 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 in and go out yes. and that but you've got to you don't want to be sort of in for five minutes and then no out for 10 no. years you want to be uh you want to be your own person making mm. work with integrity mm. i think so it's, mm. it's about who you are as a as a person yes. and finding some way of putting that out into the world i think so i think if it's you know if it's landscape okay if it's paintings flowers that's fine you know yeah. wh whatever mm. you've got to do it with um mm. integrity and a bit of soul yeah maybe yeah. but uh but yeah maybe maybe a maybe a, an exhibition of flowers flower watercolor paintings in the yeah. serpentine does does sound really good actually well, i think yeah i mean why um but see there's this bench because it, it wouldn't not? happen but why no. why wouldn't it happen yeah i think that's a really I mean, interesting question why yeah. wouldn't it happen i mean if an unmade bed can happen with yes. cigarette butts and yes. then yeah. so can a yeah and i think that's fine you know that's fine that's that's <laughs> i understand how that works how that fits into what was happening i understand why it was yes. there yes and i understand why it's significant but it also implies that you know you um you paint flowers in watercolor why why isn't that acceptable <laughs> is it is it too it's still i suppose it's still associated with sort of sunday painting isn't it the, yes, with the amateur yes but yes. there's something to be said for the amateur as well i think in a way 
Mm. Sort of, um, I think you just need to be. Uh, you need to find some way of having some kind of freedom to to be yourself and to do mm. what it is you is necessary mm. to do for you, mm. maybe. And I've never. I always put maybe at the end because yeah. I, don't, I can qualify it, and then I don't have to yeah. make a definitive statement. So I apologise <laughs> for that. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I don't. I still don't really. Or, or do I know? Maybe I don't know. What is the difference between a Sunday or, or an amateur yes, painter yes. and a fine artist? Yes. Like, what is yes. the what is the, the sort of distinction there? I don't know. Like, no, I th- so I, it's really <laughs> yeah. Because I think there's some um, there's some very good amateur painters. Yes. And there's some very poor professional painters. Yeah. So I think that, that there's not really a kind of um, like a trades union kind of. T- you know, that says, right, you're professional painters yes. and we, we represent you. But yes. um, I, I think it's to do with, with the attitude. And I think there are certain artists who maybe you'd think of as amateur. Yes. Mm. Uh, sort of outside the bounds of mm. do, any desire to be a professional, but who are great. Patrick George, who was part of the sort of our bark kind of generation, I think, taught at Slade for years. He refused to sign any of his paintings and he wasn't interested in the gallery system, wasn't interested in selling. He was a genius painter. But he's not interested in that whole system. So in a sense, is he an amateur? But I don't I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I like the that tradition of um the the English vicar who who writes a sort of a treatise on butterflies who, or who writes, you know, that I like all of that kind of idea yes. that someone can be yes. just disappear into rural England and write the definitive work on, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, like, so, someone like, um, you know, uh, Gilbert White with the uh, sort of Natural History of Selborne, which is a brilliant book. But he was, he was a vicar of a parish in Hampshire. Mm. I think it was Hampshire. Um, I like that. And, and in a sense, that's amateurism, isn't it? But at the very best uh, of amateurism. <laughs> <laughs> and would you regard yourself as a landscape painter then? I mean, is that your... Yeah. Um, or I think it, I probably would have done. Yeah. Mm. Um, see, I, I think landscape is what I use, is what I hang the paintings on, and it does matter to me. I do enjoy being out in the landscape, but in mm. a sense, I'd like to think that they could be just treated as paintings. So, um, yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of an easy way to label what I do, and so yeah. I suppose I wouldn't I wouldn't fight against it too much mm. I mean I think you know maybe you should call yourself a landscape painter just mm. to be rebellious yes you know, yes just, you're probably right just just to be yes. an- anti-establishment yes. and I think <laughs> with um the, with um you know when I when I talk about the paintings the easy thing to talk about is to start by talking about the topography so you say oh this is from such and such a place and this this line here is the edge of the seawall and this line here is you know something else and it's it's quite easy to talk about them in terms of topography and it allows a way into the paintings especially for yes. someone maybe who's not a painter yes um but really that's not what they're about mm, mm. they're about how a, a nice phrase which um who used it was it uh, it might have been peter virgo i think who wrote an essay on professor peter virgo wrote an essay on my work he said it's about the transfiguration, uh, observation transfigured into paint. And I think that's mm. what it is. It's about, it's about going out, really trying to mm. understand what's going on. But that observation is then transfigured completely into paint. And so the paintings are just about painting. I mean, there's no effects 
that I'm doing is just about paint on canvas, but it deals with transfigured mm. observation. Mm. That's what I mentioned earlier about the um, about that book. You know what what painting is mm. and how he talks about the alchemy of oil paint. And I do think that you're doing that with acrylic paint, and you're you're not only immersing yourself in in the landscape, but you're doing it in paint. And what what again what fascinated me was was you know you you could see that journey you know that journey that that you've taken outside yes, and yeah. the journey that you brought back into the studio and um yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was quite I, amazing actually i i yeah. think the um i think that's what sort of in the end that's what makes it um i was gonna say worthwhile but i think it makes it sort of it makes it so you want to keep going is that way yes. that you can put paint on and mm. it and it just does something yes that's right doesn't do it all no. the time no but it, every now and then, all of mm. a sudden, something clicks and something works and it gives something mm. back to you, yes. something meaningful and true. Yes, and I think that that's what I've always loved about painting, is that you know, you're not just um, using a subject matter, but you're using stuff, you know, yes. you're using yes. paint. Yes. It's, it's about holding the brushes and it's yes. about the handmade. Yes, I think that's, that's, that's important you know, actually. Me, I think yes. it's yes. The, this, hand, this idea of the handmade and I think the going out into the landscape, which is kind of local to the studio, um, going out with a, I, I use a, like an A4 pad of paper and a box of crayons and pencils. I don't use, there's not much equipment I take with me, but it's all very handmade. And in the studio, the paintings, the biggest painting I do is about five foot by six foot. And that would be very big for me, partially because it's very difficult to get anything bigger down under the lintel on the stairs out of the studio. <laughs> but um, so it's, they're not huge paintings, but they're kind of handmade kind of scale. And then it's the actual stuff of mixing, you know, opening all the cans, mixing the paint and all of that kind of gloopy stuff. Um, yeah. Whereas I just, I. It just doesn't interest me the sort of uh, maybe being of a, a project based or or you know a practice that was digital or to something do like with that. Sound no, or, yeah, because it's yeah. to me it's it's hidden. It's sort of mm. one one remove from being the actual yes. hands on stuff. Yes. And I think the exciting thing about painting is you're making. It's not that I'm very good at making things like that matter like tables and things like that, but um, <laughs> but um, or fixing things. But paint is just just fantastic yes. hands-on yes. thing to do mm. although I don't know I mean I think you know I think that a painting is just as important as a you yeah. know as, a, yeah. as an object I mean sure you can't you can't you know you can't lay you know a tray of biscuits on top no, of a painting no. but at the same time it's it, it's an object it's always a, objects yes, and, yes. and it's and it's there to be to it, be admired for its craft and it kind of and enriches you'd hope yes. it enriches life in some yes. way. There was a very practical, um, years years ago we had a very rickety conservatory on our house which I th I've got an idea one of the kids managed to put their foot through one of the panels and I did repair that with one of my paintings. <laughs> so they do have a practical use. <laughs> it was a painting that I no longer wanted which I took off the, it was on, on board and I took it off the frame yeah. and repaired the yeah. uh, mm. conservatory with it so it was a practical yes. use. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so just tell me a bit more about your solo show at the Mesons Gallery. Um, I was reading through the catalogue yesterday and I loved uh, the tit a title that was at the beginning and it was called Carter's Kingdom. Yes. I, <laughs> I love that, I love yes. that. Um, so where did that come from? Right, that well I think title? that came from, um, from Andrew Lambeth who wrote the uh, introductory essay yes. for it. And, um, but he's, um, you know, he's been down to the studio several times and 
he's kind of he kind of gets what it is that I'm doing, and so I don't feel I need to interfere with what he does. He sends me the essay, and I I know it's going to be fine, and mm. I just read through it. I just check for any facts that are sort of all, you know, um, words that maybe words I wouldn't actually use mm. and things like that. So, mm. but um, yeah, so that came from from that. But it was this idea of uh, these fourteen paintings and we talked about things like um like the sonnet form which has got 14 lines and um and andrew did actually write a 14 line sort of poem that goes in the catalog yes oh yes i read that I, re ha I have got some of it here actually well it reuses language because we were talking about the there's a sequence of sonnets called the glenmore sonnets which are by seamus heaney and they um there's this in those sonnets he uses the like agricultural language to talk about the craft of writing so uh, like ploughing would be to do with sort of ploughing through writing lines and things like that. It's, it's, wow, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's a, beautiful. They're beautiful, beautiful sonnets, yes. and, but yep. it's, it's that way that the, the art is talked about in terms of the sort of the actual landscape. And so and Andrew has reconfigured some of the language in there to, to refer to my kind of my bit of landscape and the art of making a painting. So I think there's, uh, we, we talked about that and then a sequence of 14, the, uh, as, as the sequence grow, grew, um, I, had a, I think I had an email from David uh, Ainley saying, saying, I think I'm pretty sure it's David, um, saying you should make 14 because it's like yes, 14 stations yes. of the cross. Mm, mm. And I mean, they, that's not what they are, but it's kind of a landscape gloss on this idea of 14 stations. So 14 has got a significance in various um, ways and it seemed a big enough number to explore what I wanted to explore so that's how that okay. grew yes. um, from that and, the, mm. and um, yes sort of Andrew provided this essay which yes. kind of packaged it and sort yes, of yes lovely which, yeah, yes it's really captured yes. um, you know the essence of your your painting practice mm. and that title Carter's Kingdom it's just it's just so beautiful mm. and, and, and I think it just sums up everything about your about what you're doing yes, um, yes. how you're sort of marrying the landscape around you to your own thoughts or subconscious that, that eventually comes out of the you know yes. the paintings eventually yes. um and i did i did notice this as well in your um small circular paintings that you've got in the, yes. uh, the mesons at the moment and they look almost like portholes yes like on ships yes uh, almost like sea and out sort of distant land and yes. they could almost be your land like your yeah lands. that's actually like, I haven't like, like that <laughs> that what, probably just sounds a bit poetic well they, well, they grew out of um so. there's there's a, a ceramicist and a potter she lives in well she i think she's moved she's moved now she lived in wivenhoe and she invited me to do some work with her and she invites quite a lot of artists to work with her mm. so quite, really interesting and so i was going to make some plates and so i thought right i better see how painting on a round you know circle actually works so I did some watercolors and um, I think they were from drawings I've done of waves breaking on the seawall and so that's the first because I thought that was you know this idea of breaking waves and you've got painting on a fragile plate I quite like that but so I started making these circular paintings and um, and through that I really enjoyed this idea of painting where you haven't got any corners so it's just completely round there's no stopping on the edge and um, and they sort of gradually grew out of that and then a couple of years ago I had a show in the Netherlands and um, we went on the ferry from Harwich which is just down the road from us um, and you're, you're looking at the world for six hours through a round window yeah. and as we pulled into uh, what do you do with a ferry do you pull in with a ferry but as we arrived at the Hook of Holland there was this 
the hook of Holland is a very grey industrial port. It just it looked like a Vermeer painting as we pulled in through this round window. It just looked beautiful and fantastic. And um, that's what those paintings grew out of. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, they are about. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that. They are about almost like journeying through something. And a lot of them are just of the sea and sky. So it's that experience of being um, unattached from anything that would tell you where you are. Yeah, it's very interesting that I noticed that straight away. It just right. instantly reminded me of uh, right. you know, okay. portholes. Yes, um, or yes. I thought maybe, maybe worlds, like, you know. Like yes, Earth that's the other thing. It's like a little globe or something yeah, like that almost. Yeah, it? So it yeah. feels like the whole world because it's not got any corners doesn't it yes. because it's, it's something you could hold yeah in, in your yeah. hands and it feels like the whole world yeah carter's yeah. planet carter's yes 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 yeah 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 um but yeah the poem by by andrew is beautiful especially mm. the uh, like the first few lines uh the last messages of light from sky to water echo over mud mud mm. flats mm. it's just absolutely beautiful yes and he's he's sort of re Use some of the vocabulary from those um, Heaney poems and sort of re, re redirected it really. Mm. But I was um, I was very touched by the the fact that um, you know that you that somebody else was not just writing an essay, a factual essay, but actually making more art from art. So it's sort of like art yes. speaking to art yeah, almost. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. beautiful, beautiful. Um, so do you, do you see yourself as a romantic painter? Oh, okay. Because um, what we were talking about earlier, mm. I, I kind of think ties into. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. I don't. I, I'm not a formalist or anything like that. I don't no, think. So no. in a sense, I enjoy that kind of wildness and maybe the sort of um, slightly unhinged quality of being outside. Yes. Yes. So I guess mm. that is a sort of a romantic kind of notion, isn't it? Yes, I think so. But it's, I think maybe romanticism is sort of always seeking the sublime. And I quite like to seek the mundane, I think. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. I don't know where that positions me. Because I guess romanticism, that, that led to things like sort of the Grand Tour. And then when you get to America, the, um, as, as the American continent was discovered, artists pushed sort of further and further west and they were finding landscapes that were more and more sublime so until they got to sort of like the Grand Canyon and Yosemite Park and things mm, like that yes. and these paintings were getting grander and grander yes whereas I quite I, I for instance on, on the beach you look at the beach if you get a trickle of water running out of a drain on the seawall <laughs> running across the sand you get this little channel that starts to be carved and then there's the water trickles it carves it deeper and deeper and it's the process that's going on in the Colorado River in the Grand Canyon yes. but it's going on on the beach in about <laughs> you know a few few meters of sand whereas the grand canyon is like a mile deep and but it's the same exactly the same process yes. and so i i suppose i like the mundane rather than the sublime but mm. i do i love being outside and just seeing stuff mm. and um it's almost like you're opening yourself up to another world that's going on in parallel to mm. your normal life like at the at, if i go down to beaumont most times i'm down there not if not every time most times I'll be able to see a kingfisher, especially in the winter, because the young kingfishers, they come out onto the coasts and they fish along all the little sluice heads because the, the fish will gather up in there. And um, and it's almost like a little, it's like a messenger from the other side <laughs> coming through. So you're seeing this amazing stuff. Um, and it's it's got nothing, no interest in me at all. It's just, it's just another parallel world that's going on. Yes. And I like that, but it's it's within, 
they're very ordinary. You know, the kingfishers, they, they like the little sluice head, so they'll sit on the ladders on the sluices, which is just like an ordinary, mundane, functional bit of kit to, to, to get water through the seawall. And so I like that kind of, I like that kind of thing. So I think if, um, you know, if I was in the tradition of Constable, the tradition of Turner, it would be Constable because he's just stayed at home and concentrated. Mm-hmm. Whereas Turner was sort of off, you know, doing stuff, seeking, seeking what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. The sublime probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that, because I know you've, you know, you've spent a lot of time here and your, your practice is embedded in... You know the south. Mm. Is it the east coast? Yeah, yeah, yeah sort of east coast. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that you will be like Turner and maybe go off and maybe do your residency somewhere? Um, or? See, when when I go, if we because we, we were talking about Canada, right? Yes, yes, and you yes, were saying that you, that, things, that you yeah. kind of admired the the sort of wilderness of yes, and I love the idea the, of the, it. The unknown of, of Canada. But, yeah, maybe yeah. I like the idea of it probably more than the actually bothering to go there. <laughs> um, I, I suppose it's that idea that there is somewhere that's wild and more dangerous, <laughs> uh, but I, th- I think may, maybe um, yeah. Yes. I, with um, we've been out to California several times because my younger brother lives there. My older brother lives in Scotland, so we we sort of you know been, go there. So I we do travel around a bit, and when I'm away, I do make drawings. I've got like little hard bound books. I make drawings and watercolors in, so I was sort of recording. It's more like taking photographs, I think. It's just recording what's about, what, what you see. And some of those ones, especially the ones from California, I have made paintings from because we've been out there quite a few times. But I don't know. I don't feel I've got anywhere near sort of anything complete about what about where I am now. Mm. I think I'm, un- I'm under the surface now. At some point, you feel like you're just scratching by the surface. I think I'm sort of probably under the surface now. But there's so much... It, it, you just carry on. There's, there's not an end to looking. You can look and look, and there's no no end mm. to looking. Yes, yes. So, and I think you can f- find ways to revitalise the process you're going through. At certain points, you reach a bit of a dead end in what you're painting, and I can go out within a few days. I'll have found some way of yes revitalising mm. mm. that. And maybe going out to somewhere like Canada, you would need so many years. That's you'd, you'd the probably, thing. You probably have yep. you know to actually move move there. Yep. Um, to actually get to grips with the landscape because yes. I do yeah because for what you were saying yes. I, I kind of feel that that you are embedded yes in, I think so. in the landscape yes. and that's important for well, you as an with, artist um, like with California I can't remember how many times we've been out there probably seven times six seven eight eight times maybe I don't know the first three four times I made drawings but I didn't feel at liberty to make painting or use those drawings when I got back to the studio I, I did, did a few bits and pieces it wasn't until I'd been the fifth fourth fifth sixth time that I felt mm-hmm. yeah maybe I could use these and I did an exhibition um, I, I did a small exhibition um, called on the road based on this uh, you know like because Jack Kerouac sort of ended up at Big Sur out in the on the west coast and that so I, re- I read um, on the road a few times and I got this idea of a sort of almost like a road movie in drawings and watercolors <laughs> Um, and I have done a sequence of paintings from various places we've been out there, but I, in a sense, I do feel like that's a sideline, and that I'd need to. If I if I'd grown up in Canada, if I'd grown up in India, in Switzerland, I don't mm. wherever that yeah. would be. I think what I paint. I think yes. as a as a person, I'm uh, I'm more interested in staying where I am <laughs> than. Uh, <laughs> 
But as you say, you know, I mean, if you look hard enough, you can always find yeah. something in the same yes. landscape. And, yes. And I can see that, you know, in your show yes. at the Mesons and in, in the Oasis Gallery, how you've, you know, you've, you've looked and you've looked and you've looked and you've looked and you've just, you've sought out so much from, from the, from the, from the layering of yes. the colours to the, to the, to seeing the trees yes. and then yes. seeing like faces in the trees or, yeah. Yeah. or, or, or well, a skinned, or a skinned rat in, in a, in, in a, a pool, pool of water. water. I mean, it's yeah. incredible. It's but incredible with, how um, you can train your eye to do that. Yes. It's amazing. Well, 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 I think it's, if, um, if they were just like subjects for a painting and you just painted a painting of, I don't know, whatever, the golf course down at the, the seafront or the, the front, you know, the, the beach. If, you, if that was just a subject for a painting and the painting was of that, I think you would start to run out of things to do. But I, I think that the landscape is a way of informing um, how you make a painting. Now, is, is that so, it's, so it's sort of like, um, it's teaching you about surface it's teaching you about putting marks down it's yes, teaching about teaching what you about can form. see and yeah. Form. yeah yeah so it's it's training your eye to yes, actually look yes. you know it's uh, so you can go to yes. the same place um yeah so it's thinking about looking yes and, yes and you could go to the same place lots of times mm. you can see it differently yes. and that's why i like this sort of notational kind of quite fast way of drawing because it's not it, everything's quite open yes and you can yeah. translate these drawings in mm. quite different ways so if you draw um a, a triangle Yes. That might be an object that was mm. a triangle, or it might be a space, or it might just be three lines. But mm. three lines that form a triangle can be interpreted in different ways. And and as you look at more and more the landscape, it's more and more complex how you can interpret your own drawings. Mm. So it's not, um, yeah, it's it's, um, it, it's allowing the landscape to teach you about painting rather than painting the landscape, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think. What you were saying earlier about being a landscape painter, I think that's in, that's just so important to you. Yes. And I think you should take that and you should just keep keep running with it. Yes. I, and, I think I I don't see there's any point at which I could stop. And I quite like those points when you sort of kind of get a bit lost mm. because then you have to really think right, okay, what is that I'm doing and what do I need to make me get over this and get on with what I'm doing. So there's. Like for for instance, what I'm doing at the moment is like this. Um, I'm taking the drawing and sort of looking at the left hand side of the drawing and the right hand side of the drawing, and seeing how they can be made into a pair of paintings. So, but it doesn't quite match up. So you're sort of like looking to the left, looking to the right, and it's a very simple idea. But it's almost it's allowed me to get over maybe a, like a dead end in the paintings and sort of get on to the next thing. And so you're all. I'm always looking for like ways that the landscape can give me something that I can yes. use. Mm. I think so. The landscape is always challenging you. Yes, it's always challenging. Yes, you. yes, definitely. Yes. 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 And maybe it could be vice versa. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe because I, th I think maybe that um, you sort of challenge people to see. Some. I guess that's what painting's for, isn't it? To yes. make, make you see. It gives you ways of yes. seeing the world. Mm. And the, the things like. Um, um, if you go out to Constable Country, what's called Constable Country, this, you go out to the Store Valley, it looks like a Constable painting. But why did it take until 18, whenever he was painting, 1814, 1820, for someone to come along and record what everybody else says the landscape looks like? The only reason it looks like a Constable painting is because Constable gave us a way of seeing that landscape. 
So he has provided the means by which we can see that landscape. Yes. So it mm. didn't it mm. didn't look like that before Coaster. No, it looked no. it looked different because people mm. weren't seeing it like that. And I think in a sense painting is giving you the means to understand the paint. So I think my paintings are contemporary and I think it's maybe giving people giving giving me giving the people who look at them a way of seeing the landscape that is contemporary mm. it's not you can't paint like constable now because it's not 1820 <laughs> yeah not only that you know we've got photography now yes you know yeah and um i mean that is that is a yeah, challenge isn't yeah, it because yeah. i've since i've got a, f um, a phone with a camera on i've taken quite a lot of photographs i never used to take many photographs but <laughs> since i've got a camera with a phone on i take quite a lot of photographs but they there's hardly any overlap between what i paint and draw mm. And, um, and the things that I photograph, I photograph quite differently. I, I photograph with quite a low horizon. I paint with a very high horizon for some <laughs> reason. And um, so, yes, but it is a challenge. And photography kind of eliminates certain things that painting isn't necessary to talk about mm. or isn't necessary to talk about in painting. Um, so what's next, Simon, apart from your yes. two shows? So you've got two shows. I've got on. two shows at the two, moment. Two, so you've got so one at the Muslims Gallery in Mayfair. Yes. In, and that's in London. Yes. And you've got another one here in Frontenal-on-Sea, and that's at the Oasis Gallery. Yes. So, um, but um, apart from those two shows, what else have you got going? I've got, there's one or two sort of little things. I've, um, I'm very good, at, very not very good at remembering what I've got on. I think <laughs> I must have something on. I don't know, but I've been, especially for the Messam show, I've been sort of preparing for that for you know for, for quite a while. So it's it's a big show, yeah. And um, so that's taken up a lot of sort of mental space and mental energy. So I feel like I've got a bit of breathing space now to just sort of think laterally a little bit. So I'm f um, I'm looking at um, there's one or two things I'm trying to sort of grapple with, sort of loose ends from that and then sort of take those loose ends and the new things that I'm thinking about and sort of move the whole thing um, forward. But um, yeah, I haven't got anything particularly planned at the moment, so we, I shall see what happens. Just getting back to painting yep. again yep. and revisiting your landscapes yes. and trying yes. to find new um, yeah. new elements. Well, I think landscape. the... Um, I mean, you know, all the other stuff that you do is part of being a painter. You know, it's part of you know meetings you have to go to and yeah, different things. That yeah. is part of it. Mm. But if I if a whole week in the studio is my ideal kind of week and, yeah. and nothing else going on, but um, mm. which I've got, I'm doing a bit of teaching next week. And then beyond that, I've got quite a bit of space to paint. So um, yes, yeah, so I'll see, and I'm sure there's stuff coming up, but um, I can't quite remember what it is at the moment. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> there's a, oh, there's a there's a show in the summer. There's um, uh, the River Stewart Festival. Uh, there's a project called River, The River Runs Through Us, which Ruth Philo and Stuart Bowditch are um, sort of drawing together a lot of threads under this sort of River Store kind of festival thing. And there's a there's a couple of exhibitions to do with that, which um, I've been invited to put in for. Lovely. Yeah. Sounds really nice. And finally, um, <laughs> it's kind of a bit of a silly question, but <laughs> but who are your favourite painters and why? All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> It, no, I, it's not a silly question. No. It's, just, it's just it's just like a yeah. nice question yeah. to end. Well, I think end. when yes. what, and we we talked about earlier <laughs> that idea of seeing the surface of the paint. I like yes. paintings when you can look at them and you can see what's going on. Yeah. So it's very very visible. And like Roy Oxlade, he's one of my favourite painters. I think he's a, he's a really interesting mm. and very underrated painter. Um, there's a painter out in America called John Walker, a British painter who was, I mean, a huge influence here back in the. 70s and 80s and then he went to Australia and then he went to America and he's almost got forgotten by his by Britain and he's a British painter and he is um, he is a fantastic painter and at the moment he's painting these big abstract paintings which are about being on the 
main coast so it's about the light and the dazzle and the mud and so it's kind of my kind of subjects yes, but from yeah. a different mm. angle mm -hmm. um i really rate him as a painter um yeah who else i like i mean so if we go <laughs> go back a bit i mean if we go back a bit i mean constable i do really rate yeah, constable yeah, you're, you're and then sort of through him. like van gogh uh, there's that um portrait in the courtauld with the cut off ear which i think is just mm. a magic painting yes. if i go to the national gallery um the painting I was going to have a look at is there's a, a Roysdale painting and it, it's got one of these mundane titles like, I don't know, dis, Distant View with Church Tower or something like that. But it's a big painting of billowing clouds over a very low horizon. Very Dutch, very East Anglian as well. Um, and that's probably my favourite painting at the moment. Um, yeah, I like it. Basil Beatty. I saw some yes, stuff of his. Yes. Um, he's got Basil the show Beattie's of drawings wonderful. at the uh, Royal Academy at the yeah. moment. Yeah, I can't and wait to see that show. That really interesting. Yeah, I, I saw his solo show in Mima. Uh, oh, yes, yes. That was just incredible. Yes, like, he had oh, all, the, he had all these ink drawings that were about the same size. Yes. About a5 maybe yes. maybe a4 and yes. they were just hundreds dozens oh, right, and dozens yes. and dozens and they yes. were all huge, like massive oh, it just it was really yeah. amazing yeah. and it was and again you know a little bit like like with your oasis sort of gallery yes. cafe show yes. you, you you could see the patterns emerging yes. like again and again yes. so he did all these drawings and, it, yeah, and in, the motifs changed over time. Or, yes, because there's or like a similar. there is like a, yeah, I suppose it is yeah. a bit like that because there is a there's a certain group of motifs like the ladder or the or, or steps yeah, or, um, or stairs. Yes, or there's, there's little um, the, he'll have little segments that've got like a bit of perspective in them, like a few lines oh, of perspective. Yeah, so, and yes. he puts all these together, these little bits of elements of language together in different configurations. Yes, yes. There was a wall of drawings at the Royal Academy. Um, there's not many. Uh, probably I don't know how many were there. A dozen maybe 16 drawings mm. but they've got that kind of progression yeah. of ideas you know using mm. this series of motifs and mm. that but I think it's an interesting pace I saw he the show at uh, the Jerwood down in Hastings mm. a few years back yeah. and that was a really interesting mm. show mm. but I, I like um, I know George Bazalitz is slightly unfashionable I think at the moment but I, I do quite like <laughs> yeah. his work because um, it's, it's got a very um, He's like sticking two fingers up to anybody who thinks, <laughs> who even might care about what he does. <laughs> so, which I quite like. Yeah. And uh, there was there's um, sounds good. Sounds um, good. In, uh, there's a big Susan Rothenberg painting, which I think Tate Modern have just acquired a, a big sort of split canvas of a horse in in two colours, sort of like a pinky brown and a chocolatey brown colour. And I saw that a few weeks ago, and that was a really stunning painting. Um, I really rated that. Mm. Um, yeah, who else? I don't know. <laughs> Deepencorn is always comes yes, up. Yes, yes. But um, yes. I, well, I, we I were sort talking of... about California earlier, yes, and you were saying yes. Um, yes. How, how you could just see see the colours. Yeah, you know? I think the first time we went out to America, we um, we flew to Los Angeles Airport, and as soon as you stepped out of the airport, that's the first thing I thought. I think uh, yeah. is that oh, this is what Deepencorn was painting. Yes, and you could yeah. see there's sort of oh. there's there's the pale sort of shimmering heat that's in the light. And um, yeah, you could sort of those ocean park paintings. It, the the landscape, the urban landscape, looked like those ocean park paintings. They weren't abstract paintings. They were paintings of the sort of heat and light on the streets. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, but anybody who's sort of um, uses paint quite in interesting way, I'm you know I'm happy to have a look at. <laughs> There's a few paintings that I really don't like. But we won't discuss them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much, Simon. Oh, you're welcome. And, um, yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you.
you enjoyed this episode, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at 23carousels and post with the hashtag painterstoday.